Kia ora and welcome to RNZ's Insight Programme. I'm Philippa Tolley. This week, achieving safe drinking water for all New Zealanders. The scare over the cleanliness of water supplies in Dunedin in the last week has added to constant warnings that emerge sporadically around the country about the quality of drinking water. There are three high-level inquiries either being launched or underway into what should be done to ensure safe drinking water. But this insight investigates whether in a long, thin country with an often sparse population, drinking water can be made safe for everyone. Bush line from the mountains to the sea, limestone cliffs. We've got two short walks that are soon to be designated into great short walks. Look, it's a beautiful, pristine environment. It's beaches and rainforests and walks. It's just a lovely place to be in. Craig Finlay runs the council-owned campsite at Punakaiki on the South Island's west coast. Tourists flock there to get a glimpse of the rugged pancake rocks a few minutes' walk through the bush. But although it's a beautiful place to live and visit, there are challenges, especially when it comes to the quality of drinking water. Over the last four to five years, uh, it has been not good. Um, we've had ball notices more days than not, and it certainly has compromised our business operation. Um, people come here to um, have a pristine green environment, and then they get slapped on with a boiled water notice. It almost creates an image of third world, yet we're trying to promote it as you know, pristine and clean. The last official report on New Zealand's drinking water was published by the Ministry of Health in April this year. While the summary talks about improvements, a closer look at the data shows that water coming out of the taps of about 80,000 people's homes and businesses failed bacteria standards. More than 600,000 people also have drinking water supplies that failed standards for protozoa, organisms such as the gastroenteritis causing parasite Giardia. While some of these fails might be dismissed as breaches of testing guidelines, these figures are for council-run, not private supplies, and they did not meet the standards. 32 water distribution zones are listed as transgressing for excessive E. coli samples. The chief executive of Water New Zealand, John Fallett, says New Zealand's compliance levels are totally inadequate in comparison to somewhere like the United Kingdom. Compliance is almost always over 99%. So you compare two first world countries where an order of magnitude um, off the scale in terms of our poor compliance with drinking water standards. So what needs to be done? The second stage of the inquiry into the Havelock North contamination crisis will deliver recommendations later this year. And there's also a ministerial review that is just getting going. And water supplies, including drinking water, are the focus of the Office of the Auditor-General for the year ahead. I'm Philippa Tolley, and this insight explores if a major shake-up to the system is needed. And to get a hold of somebody like Age Concern, we have a lovely community worker who will go out into the house. Carol Winters is the manager of Age Concern on Havelock North and was at the centre of efforts to help those who were struck down with illness after drinking the town's infected water. About 5,500 people were estimated to have become ill with Campylobacter in August last year. 45 were hospitalised and the outbreak is thought to have contributed to three deaths. It was a tragedy that brought the whole issue of safe drinking water into sharp relief. 
The first stage of the official inquiry says an unknown number of residents continue to suffer health complications. That includes people that Carol Winters works with on a daily basis. We are seeing uh, clients, volunteers, members that got sick that will not touch water again, will n- just won't go near it. Couldn't even face the thought of getting sick again. It's just seriously ruined parts of their lives and took months to recuperate. Now, uh, this couple I'm thinking of in particular, the husband still has now what will be chronic chronic illness, uh, water around the heart. So people that... And we're talking about older people who didn't have a problem with arthritis before now are arthritic. And it is once again directly linked to the uh, Campylobacter. And the impact stretched further than health. Some of the stories we were told just sent us home in tears sometimes. We had some people that were just so stretched to the limit financially I will never, ever forget two people in particular. One, just uh, she'd managed to find us. She was literally just driving past, back from the supermarket, having spent money she didn't have on water, driving past Soro sign. She got to the door and just burst out crying. Carol Winters says some people have put it all behind them, but others, especially those who were really sick, are still furious. Why has nobody said, yes, I was to to blame. It was my fault, it was our fault, this is what we could have done. Pippi Cafe sits in the heart of Havelock North and its co-owner Chris Morris says at first they could hardly believe it was all happening. So many people sick, including staff and customers. He was grateful for the help they got from council and was always certain they would get through. But not everyone is happy with the new treated water and a number are sticking to bottled water. We feel confident. We surely we must have a really good water supply now. And we, you know, read all the new emails from the council, and it's all in the paper. And they've got a fabulous new ozone treatment thing that they've installed at the bore. And yeah, you can smell the chlorine. And you hear about it, Ekaterina and other towns running out of water. And even in Christchurch, it sounds pretty touch and go. So I, we feel safe that the water's fine, but we're, a lot of us are really uneasy about the chlorine because we're not used to it coming from Wellington or Auckland where it's a given but we're, we've been used to this quite pure supply for such a long time so it's quite a shock for some people. The supervision of drinking water is a somewhat convoluted system. Local councils are responsible for making sure the water coming out of their ratepayers' taps is safe to drink and meets the official drinking water standards that were last revised in 2008. How a council's water supply is performing is checked by drinking water assessors who operate out of public health units at district health boards. And the overall responsibility for drinking water safety lies with the Ministry of Health. Guidelines set out the minimum frequency for testing and the water has to be checked both at the station and in the pipes where it comes out of your tap. Environmental science and research science leader Chris Noakes focuses on the quality of drinking water and the monitoring reports they provide for the Ministry of Health. He says while testing is carried out for bacteria, protozoa and chemicals, it's the microbiological presence that is essential to track. That is E. coli with regard to the bacteria. Now I need to point out that E. coli um, is used as an indicator organism. The E. coli that's measured is um, not a 
a pathogen, that is, it's not a, an organism um, believed to, to cause disease, but because it's present in all faecal matter excreted by warm-blooded animals, then the presence of E. coli in a water supply indicates that the water has been in contact with faecal material in the recent past. So although the presence of E. coli doesn't necessarily mean that there is a disease-causing organisms in the water, it indicates that to the water supplier that there is potentially something wrong and they need to take action to sort out what it is and to um, disinfect the water additionally if that's required to make sure the people that are providing water to are protected from possible presence of pathogens. The other microbiological part of the, the standards covers the protozoa, so that is primarily Giardia and more particularly Cryptosporidium. Chris Noak says testing for protozoa is tricky, as they often come in clumps, so some tests might be free of any trace of the single-cell organisms. They're also not killed by chlorine and need to be filtered out of the water. Overall, Chris Noakes says standards are improving and reporting has got better, but he says the greatest scope for advancing standards lies in reducing the incidence of protozoa. Standards failures and levels of compliance are a red flag to Canterbury's Medical Officer of Health, Alistair Humphrey. He's been warning about nitrate levels in the local drinking water that is supplied untreated from underground aquifers. The Christchurch City Council describes the local water as one of the best in the world, but Alistair Humphrey believes intensive farming has led to an increase in nitrates in the water that could cause harm to bottle-fed babies who do not have the defences that adults have. In the last week or so, 300 people turned up to a meeting in the Selwyn district where Alistair Humphrey spoke about how nitrate was an indicator of other things that could go wrong. Nitrates are actually the canary in the mine for a number of different other problems, and these are microbial contaminations. And the other thing we have to remember is that we are also have some of the highest rates of Campylobacter. And this graph shows how badly we're doing across all age levels in our region compared with the New Zealand averages. And that's because of the contamination of our water. I've had local politicians tell me that gastro is not a big deal and nobody dies from it but there are some types of E. coli that are a significant cause of death and for children are a significant cause of renal failure and can end up with enormous costs to our health service as well as tragedies for those families. We have other examples of outbreaks. We have the Darfield outbreak from 2012 where we had 118 cases of Campylobacter. Failure of treatment, flooding and an infiltration of the, the water supply very similar to Havelock North. Dun Sandal in 2009, animal source, E. coli transgression. Then in the Springston outbreak, 50% of that town back in 2008 was affected by Campylobacter infections, and some of them had toxic E. coli, so uh, we dodged a bullet there because many of them could have died. Dr Virginia Hope is the medical director at ESR, which also produces quarterly notifiable disease surveillance reports. She says reporting through GPs and laboratories is generally pretty comprehensive and that illness caused by contaminated drinking water is well tracked. But the Ministry of Health guidelines for drinking water quality management cite a New Zealand study from 2009 that estimated that out of every 222 cases of acute gastroenteritis, only one case is reported to the notification system. While only a small proportion of those stomach bucks will have come from drinking water, there is a chance the scale is underestimated. The guidelines say while the focus is on serious outbreaks, 
There are other studies that suggest the majority of illness occurs in sporadic cases or is endemic. Because of this, the real prevalence of these diseases might not be identified. Dr Hope agrees some cases can be hard to trace. It's possible that there are sporadic cases of waterborne disease that we may not identify as such because we may not be able to track it back to the water supply. So if we look at the outbreaks themselves, that varies depending on the particular setting and what's happening in the particular setting. If we have a high rainfall year, there may be issues in specific settings with, for example, Campylobacter. In another, at another time, we might have a number of people exposed to Giardia in one setting or cryptosporidiosis. She says New Zealand does have high rates of Campylobacter, but the levels can be put down to good tracking processes. At the iconic tourist destination of Punakaiki in the last week, another boil water notice has gone out to residents. Craig Finlay says every time a notice comes into force, it's a nightmare trying to get the message out to everyone. We have like 50 water sources with supply where people can tap into and we can't um, physically get a sign up on all of those places. Um, so we do have signs in prominent places in the camp and people have to be aware of that. And, and look, to be honest, they are only in English. So <laughs> when 90% of the people are foreign tourists, but maybe not all of them can read it. So it is problematic to run. His family have lived at Punakaiki for 27 years and have had to deal with frequent boil water notices. But Craig Finlay says questions have to be asked about whether a ratepayer base of about 100 can support the infrastructure for a visitor drawcard that attracts about half a million people a year. Punakaiki is iconic in, in terms of New Zealand tourism and um, is a reason why international visitors come here so therefore it has to be looked at after by the Crown in general to make sure it's uh, uh, you know, in a good place to serve the populace or especially the tourist numbers. If tourists did fall ill after drinking the water, Craig Finlay believes the flow-on effect to the industry would be disastrous. Word of mouth and social media, it would just be absolutely catastrophic and very hard to remedy the consequence of, the, of, of people getting sick from visiting you know, a unique pristine place. Up the coast and inland a bit from Westport is the tiny settlement of Waimangaroa. We decided to come back to the coast and instead of going to Greymouth where we didn't like a lot, we decided on here and um, we're pretty happy here actually. Yeah, it's, a, it's a real good place apart from some local problems. <laughs> and high on that list of local problems is the water. Residents in Waimangaroa have been on a boil water notice for four years. John Buchanan has been writing to the local paper frequently about what he thinks is a disgraceful situation. There was a fairly vicious storm and it damaged the intake, which is situated up the hill a wee bit. Um, from that day onwards, instead of fixing it completely, they decided to put us on a boil water notice and the council has come up with all sorts of half-baked ideas to fix something permanent for it. I don't think it's a fair go that we are still paying water rates and receiving a product that's not fit for purpose. Finding a bore is among the ideas floated for a new water source, but John Buchanan is dubious, given that everyone in the settlement of about 100 homes has septic tanks and he thinks there's a chance of leakage. In the meantime, he says the boil water notice is a major hassle because his kettle isn't designed to properly sterilise water. 
Uh, very difficult, in nature of fact. It's a modern electric kettle which switches itself off when you turn it. You know, when it, when the water has boiled. So you what? You're supposed to boil it for longer than just bringing it to boil. Yes, they require you to boil it for three minutes, apparently, um, which is quite a hassle. You get up in the middle of the night and you want to drink a water, unless you've got some pre-boiled water sitting around somewhere, or um, even to have a cup of tea. It's, 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 it's quite difficult in actual fact, eh? So, so do you bother? To be completely honest, no, we don't. And I'm not aware of anybody ever becoming sick through it, so perhaps the standard of water is not as bad as they like to make out that it is. But a professor of public health at Otago University in Wellington, Michael Baker, says that's a bit like not wearing a seatbelt and hoping you won't have a crash. Some people may get away with it for a while, taking risks like that, but it, it is actually naive not to, to think that you can get away with it, particularly for young children and um, vulnerable elderly people who may become very ill if they consume contaminated um, water. Something like Campylobacter is not a trivial illness. Um, it hospitalises people, um, about um, six or 700 people a year still hospitalise with that. In fact, amongst the notifiable diseases, it's the single biggest cause of hospitalisation. It causes deaths and it also causes some chronic effects like Guillain-Barre syndrome, um, which is extremely unpleasant and, and occasionally fatal. But on top of that, we have some new uh, threats, and one of the most serious is uh, VTEC or STEC, and these are a very nasty form of E. coli that is um, excreted by cattle. Uh, the incidence of that in New Zealand has risen enormously over the last two decades. The mayor of the Buller district, Gary Howard, explains the situation and why Mangaroa is typical of the challenges small local authorities face. So that community has not got a treatment um, process in place and we would certainly like to get that uh, and we're making good progress towards that with uh, potential bore water supply going through filtration that's appropriate to the water source. We've been hampered by natural events and slippages in a gorge which has affected the water supply and the proposal to put in a treatment plant from that supply. For Michael Baker, climate change-induced extreme weather events and increased rainfall, along with intensive farming, are now both part of the drinking water supply landscape, and he doesn't think their impact is taken seriously enough. All of these systems, even if they're well-managed and um, they are regulated, they can be stressed by major events, and we're thinking particularly heavy rainfall events, which may become more common with climate change, and also increasing intensification of agriculture, which is obviously um, greatly increasing the amount of um, animal faeces being deposited on our land and in our waterways. And so um, these systems that maybe worked well in the past and were adequate may not cope with these additional stressors uh, in the future. Gary Howard says at the recent local government forum, virtually all of the 30 presenters spoke about water and climate change. He expects the final part of the inquiry into the water crisis in Havelock North will recommend improvements that will cost more, but he says all water suppliers will just have to step up. We're just going to have to comply, and it's how we finance that compliance. Uh, with the number of tourists that are coming to New Zealand, we've got to be fit for purpose and give them an experience that they, as well as our residents. Uh, it's an expected quality that people coming to New Zealand, the green, clean image. 
it actually isn't as green and as clean as people actually uh, would like to portray it at times, and we need to work on it. The Buller Mayor says the government has allocated about $100 million to help with infrastructure in areas that have high visitor numbers, but it's not just for water and will be spread around all of New Zealand. As part of the investigations into how to improve the system, Gary Howard is aware that many are advocating for an independent regulator to oversee supplies, but he's wary about losing that local input and control. We've got to actually ensure that localism stays in New Zealand and that uh, the locals that are working to administrate and provide infrastructure for communities remain in place rather than everything remote and centralised. But John Fallett of the umbrella organisation Water New Zealand says change is needed if the problems over reaching acceptable standards are to be sorted out. The latest drinking water quality report shows there was an 80% achievement against all drinking water standards for 2015 to 16. That goes up to 88% for large water distribution zones, but in middle-sized areas with populations up to 10,000, the achievement rate drops to 65% and is down to 25% in zones with resident numbers between 100 and 500. For John Fallett, the list of what needs to be fixed is comprehensive. There are issues to do with um, the uh, leadership or not that the Ministry of Health has taken in the last 10 years. There are issues with the, uh, the format of the drinking water standards themselves, problems with industry training, an absence of qualifications for people who run water treatment plants, no professional develop, continuing professional development. Almost everywhere you look, there are issues associated with the way in which we're managing Uh, drinking water in this country. Now, that's not to say that some councils don't do it very well, but overall I think the report that the ESR produces each year demonstrates that we've got an awful long way to go. He would like authorities to be held to account if they fail to provide safe water. You know, we've also got an enforcement regime which has been very relaxed, I think's the fairest way to describe it, where the Ministry of Health has had an almost unspoken rule that we'll have a softly, softly approach to enforcement. And that that was probably appropriate when the regulations first came in so that people, councils, could get up to speed with their implementation and so on. But a decade on, we haven't had one um, prosecution um, for failing to meet the drinking water standards in the 10 years that the standards have been in place. And in fact, compliance with the standards is not mandatory. Um, As long as you can demonstrate you've taken best practicable steps, um, you don't actually have to comply with the standards at all. So there are are problems um, both with the the complexity of the standards and with the way in which the government has chosen to enforce them. And I think we need to have a fundamental rethink about that. that. In part, that's around the Ministry of Health taking a greater leadership role, but also being prepared to wield the big stick when, when that's appropriate. John Fallett believes drinking water assessors are probably not taking seriously when they raise concerns because of what he says is the almost zero chance of getting prosecuted. In a written reply to these criticisms over lack of leadership and enforcement, the Director of Public Health, Dr Carolyn McElnay, said... When water suppliers are assessed as being non-compliant with the drinking water standards, the local water assessors and designated officers work with those suppliers to identify the reason for non-compliance, the actions needed to achieve compliance and to ensure the safety of the drinking water. The Ministry of Health provides technical support and advice for the assessors and designated officers and to date no prosecution action has been required. 
Professor Michael Baker from Otago University also questions how much emphasis the Ministry is placing on the provision of safe drinking water. You have to have strong regulations to uh, mandate high levels of safety. You can't just say, oh, we'll leave it to the sector to make up their rules as they go along. And so at the moment, unfortunately in health, we are working with very old laws. The Health Act is 1956. It's had amendments, but the legislation is now very clumsy and out of date. Universal chlorination of all water supplies or some sort of independent authority are not the only solutions being discussed. Many want extra financial support and the reintroduction of the Drinking Water Infrastructure Fund, which ended in 2015. The local government minister, Anne Tolley, has already launched her ministerial review into the so-called three waters, drinking, storm and wastewater. A cabinet paper says there are indications of system-wide performance issues such as poor planning, management and risk exposure. The review will look at financial incentives and compliance and monitoring and says it could provide a basis for more ambitious reform. And Tolly says local councils have a great deal of knowledge about their own communities and can make excellent decisions, but when it comes to core services and public health, there may be need for change. I keep saying to, to, to councils, I'm not really interested in de- democratic amalgamations, but I am interested in the amalgamation of services because it's getting more and more expensive to provide and maintain and upgrade that infrastructure. And so you have small councils, in some cases with shrinking populations, who are really struggling to make sure that they can keep those standards high. So that's part of what we're having a look at, is how can we work together better in order to ensure that the the ratepayers are getting good drinking water, good, clean, healthy drinking water. But she's not sure whether a national regulator will be needed. We're saying at the moment it's too soon. We want to do the review to have a look at what we, what or how might we, we might be regulating before we look at what that regulator might be. And, you know, we look around the world, there's a whole range of different models in different countries that we can certainly learn from. So we, we will get to that, but I think there's a, a lot more to have a look at before we make those sorts of decisions. Mika Faiteri is Labour's local government spokesperson and she says it's time for greater cooperation between central and local government. If you don't get the councils on board, nothing around managing freshwater in New Zealand is going to work. So I'm respectful. Uh, they've got their constitution under the Local Government Act. Uh, we've got ours as the executive or, or the government and I'm just saying we need to now start working together uh, because what I've seen in the last nine years is probably not that. John Fallett would like there to be a reorganisation of where money from central government is allocated. I think there needs to be, um, either through the Ministry of Health, um, a greater allocation of resources to that organisation to do the job that they're being asked to do, or if, if the Crown is not prepared to do that, then to set up a separate independent regulator that's able to do that job for them. That would remove drinking water from the ambit of public health, where it's distracted in all sorts of areas of delivery with uh, you know, how many knee and hip replacements are done by hospitals or so on. So it would, would treat it as a completely separate issue. The Green spokesperson for the environment, Eugenie Sage, believes there is a general complacency over preserving the state of our drinking water. I think we've taken it for granted, and regional councils haven't done nearly enough to protect the sources of our drinking water. People should be able to trust the water that comes out of their taps. She would like to see standards upgraded and the subsidy reintroduced that help local authorities with major treatment upgrades. 
Budgie Janie Sage would also like the cost factored into land use decisions. We have one of the highest rates of gastroenteritis in the OECD. MFE estimates that costs us around $25 million annually from people getting sick. We've got to put the health costs of how we use land into the equation. The first of the series of recommendations over what needs to be done to improve drinking water supplies will come with the release of the second part of the Havelock North Water Inquiry, which is due out in early December. I'm Philippa Tolley and that's Insight for this week. You can share and podcast this and other insights from rnz.co.nz forward slash insight or head to iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email us at insight at radionz.co.nz and our Twitter handle is at insightrnz. That programme was produced by Teresa Cowie with technical production by Phil Benj. It's been great to have you with us. Thanks for listening.